If your house has a flat roof, you are required by Torah to put a ma'aket, to put a guardrail around it to protect people from falling off the roof. A shul does not have that same obligation. The Beis Hamikdash does. Question is why? And of course, the Rebbe will teach us a magnificent lesson about how we reach out to others and have to be careful to have a guardrail when we do so. I've been passing the passing in this week's parasha that says, If you build a new house, you have to make a guardrail around your roof. Shtetan Sifri says, the Sifri bias, when the Torah says, house, the rabbi's heichal that comes to include the building inside the base, Amikdash, known as the heichal that had to have a marker guardrail around its roof. As the marker, if in gag from the heichal, Amikdash is given, and in fact, what the Sifri is telling us is that the guardrail around the heichal's roof was not as a decorative item, nor a chiyuv, mitzvah's marker. It was obligatory, part of the fulfillment of the mitzvah of having a guardrail. And that's the case, is Yotuati Shaila. There's a well known question. The din is, Allah tells us clearly, as Bata Knesses or Bata Midrashas and in Potter Funa Maika, a Shul or a Yeshiva are exempt from having a Maika Godrel on the roof. And we know this because the Gemara Chulin tells us that the Pasuk says you have to make the Maka Legagecha to your roof, that excludes those roofs that belong to the community through Shuls and Batamidrash. If that's the case, why then did the Beis Hamikdash require the Maka guardrail? The Ragachava gives a particular explanation that the Rebbe is not satisfied with. The Ragachava says the reason is simple. At which point is it that a person is required to put the guardrail around their roof? Like the Sifri tells us from when you begin the process of the building or when you initiate the construction. In other words, as soon as the house is built, even before you start to use the house, that's when you have to put up the marker as opposed to, let's say, a mezuzah, which you can wait until you're living in the house and even then for a period of time. So, therefore, says the Rogachava, the status of the Beis Hamikdash follows these halachas, which is, you build the Beis Hamikdash, and it has the status of being mundane. And once it is built, then you sanctify it to become a Beis HaMikdash. Therefore, using the same logic, when does the Makkah apply? When the building is complete, the minute the building is complete, and uh, so it's not the, the, the minute you start the building process, when you start building the base Hamikdash, at that point the base Hamikdash is not yet holy. And therefore it requires a market like a house, not like a shul. In other words, the Rogachov is making the distinction between holy places not needing a market and regular places needing a market because the base Hamikdash has to initially be built in a status of chulin, and that's when the market obligation applies. So therefore it requires a market. Says the Rebbe, the There's some very major questions we have to address about this particular suggestion. First of all, who said that the reason that a shul doesn't have a makkah is because it's holy? Aleph. The fact that a shul or base medrash is exempt from a makkah is neat. Valzei has nothing to do with their holy status. Nor but not because the Torah said you, the individual, has to own the home in order to be obligated to put up a makkah. And the base, the base or the base medrash is not owned by an individual. They have any combined There's no person who could say it's our shul. <laughs> Imagine telling that to a shul committee. 
Therefore, you'd think that the, if, it's, if it's not a matter of holiness versus unholiness, but rather a matter of ownership, surely the Beis Hamikdash should be exempt from because despite the fact that the Beis Hamikdash is built in a status where it is still un, uh, not yet holy, it's not your roof, it's not the roof of a group of people, surely it's exactly the same as a shul or a Beis Medrash. Now, don't suggest that the Rogachov is following the thinking, the, the line of argument of the Rambam, which is, as dos, as what the Knesset, as what the Midrash is, is the reason a shul or base Midrash is exempt from a Maka is, nothing to do with the fact that they don't have owners, but rather the nature by which they are to be used. No, because shuls and Bata Midrashis are not made for people to live in. Whereas technically the base Amigdash is being built as a mundane structure and cannot demolish Technically, you could have decided temporarily to live in the base Amigdash while it's being built. Maybe that's what the Rogachova was trying to tell us. Like the Rambam says, it's a matter of whether it's for Dira or not. And as long as the base Amigdash is being built, theoretically it could be used as a Dira and therefore should require a market. That's not a good enough explanation. Yes, we do know that practically while they're building the base Amigdash, it's still Choyl, and only afterwards is it sanctified. But everybody knows why it's being built. It's not being built as a residential complex that will later be converted into the base Amigdash. It's being built to be a base Amigdash. So logic says, We're not going to use, and we probably are not allowed to use the base Amigdash for any personal purposes and therefore we're back to square one why is it that the Rogachova believes that the argument to support having a maka on the base amigdash on the heichal is because it's technically not holy what has holiness got to do with it second question is base abayis amachuyev b'maka it's even in a normal house that needs to have a Micah. Let's say you had a regular house, a residential house, and then you turned it into your Chabad house. So now it's a shul. Or you turned it into any other facility which is technically exempt from a Micah. The minute you turn it into a shul, you no longer have to have the Micah. I'm not saying you would dismantle it, but the Chiyuv no longer applies. So if the Rogachova's argument is you don't have to put a Micah on the base Amigdash because during construction it's not yet holy, the fact that afterwards it becomes holy would mean now you don't have to put up a Micah. So we're back to square one. Why not put a Micah? Uh, sorry, why is it that you have to put a maka on the heichal on the base amikdash? Shlomo Abir Bozes, so the Rebbe is going to come from a different perspective based on something that Rashi tells us, which is, Rashi is Mazma, it's all about the nature of the ownership. As also about the Knesset, about the Midrash, the reason why a shul or a base medrash does not fall into the category of your roof is it's because the nature of a shul or a base medrash is that nobody can claim sole ownership over it because technically somebody you've never met before from many, many thousands of kilometers away could come to the shul and has free access to the shul because that's what shuls are for. Every Jew on the entire planet. So nobody could say it's ours and have some kind of level of ownership so it can't be called your roof. That's why you don't have to put up a maker. 
Damit bei Avon Rashi, Favos Bata Knesset, Chul is an Andish von Abai Shushutvin, with that Rashi explains why a Shul is not like a classical building owned by a number of partners, because then you know who the partners are, and they can all claim their personal Gagecha, this is our roof, whereas the Shul is open to every single Jew on the planet, and so nobody can say it's ours. The din is, as Abai Shushutvin, is Just to clarify, if you have a building that is co-owned by different partners, you would be required to put a guardrail on that roof. Like that, Gemorin Chulin tells us, Even though the words sound like if it's your personal property, then you have to put up the market. And if it belongs to you together with others, you don't. Even though that's what it sounds like from Deswegen, because the Torah, in, and it's not always common for the Torah to do this, but here the Torah tells us a reason why you have to have a market, so that people don't fall off your roof. Well, if that's the issue, if we're worried about safety, what's the difference if the house is owned by one or ten people? Therefore, says the Gemara, a house that belongs to different people who partner together is still required to have a make. A shul is not that way because a shul is open to the broadest sense of anybody being allowed to come in. So let's analyze it. Why, in fact, if the concern is about safety, why is a shul and a base medrash not incorporated in the requirement to provide that safety? Surely it doesn't matter who owns the property. Everybody should be safe. And we should therefore put up a market. Is Rashi man's spirit there for Rashi explains? As I bought the Knesset, the bottom of Joshua's Nitov, Vemens, and Mechaev's. And yes, you're right, there should be a protection on the roof. But you cannot peg the responsibility of that protection on any person because there's nobody who you could say, you're the person who is the owner of this property. The requirement to put a guardrail on your roof is directed at the owner of the building that's got that roof. So if that building is owned by partners, great, then the responsibility sits with all of those partners. But when you have a group of people in a particular city who build a shul or a yeshiva, no one of those people can say, it's mine, I'm responsible for it. Because this shul is also accessible to and belongs to technically every Jew in the entire world. There's no reason to single out a particular individual and say, and you're the one responsible to put up the market. So it's a technicality really, according to Rashi. Now, you might feel that there's a contradiction from other halachas. There are other areas of halacha where, for example, who's responsible to put the mezuzah up on a base medrash? So there we say, yes, those people who run the shul or run the base medrash, they're responsible for certain things. That's because here in this law, the law of the makeh, it's not about ownership over the property. So the thing is this, that when you talk about a makeh, you're talking about a place that not only belongs to a particular group of people, but they also have the opportunity to, in a sense, live in that place. 
But when you look at it from the perspective of a shul, a shul is not like a house that you can say, it's my house. I have some level of control. I have so, so I share it with a group of people. We, we share, you know, one week each in the bungalow colony or whatever the case is. It, it, this, is, this is a shul. This is open to anybody, people you've never heard of before who come through the door. Let's go back to language that the Raghat Shavu himself uses. He says that the whole concept, the basis of requiring a make is about who lives in the place. And a shul is a place that everybody could live in, meaning to say everybody could come and use. Okay, so if we're making the distinction not between holy and unholy, but rather between whether this is a building that belongs to specific individuals who can say we have the rights, he has the title deed, versus a building that belongs to the entire nation, where does the Beis Hamikdash fit into that? Now, you'd probably imagine, well, the Beis Hamikdash must belong to everybody. Yes, but in a different way to a shul, very different way. Now we understand why the Hechel in the Beis Hamikdash needs a Make. Because in the Migdash the, the relationship that every single Jewish person has to the base Hamikdash is not like a shul. A shul is this generic open door policy for every single Jew on earth. Therefore, nobody really has ownership. The base Hamikdash is this massive partnership of every Jew on earth, in which case every Jew has ownership, like a whole group of people who co-own a building. Number one, the plot on which the Beis HaMikdash was built was originally bought by David HaMelech by communal funds. That means the entire community, every single Shevet, bought in to that plot of land. So therefore everybody has actual title deed rights to it. And how did you build the base Amigdash on that piece of land with communal funds again that everybody had to contribute to? In the same way as in the desert, every single Jew contributed to building the Mishkan. And you have to therefore logically assume if in the Mishkan every single Jew participated, the chances are that in the Beis Hamikdash they had a collection system that every single Jew participated in. And of course, there's no question about it. When the person gives their money, they don't expect anything in return. They don't want a proof of payment. They don't need a, a, you know, some kind of a title deed. They're giving it with, with generosity. Which is very different to a whole lot of people who have collaborated in a partnership on a particular thing. So even though people are very generous and they don't expect anything in return, Return, they still retain their particular individual rights to that contribution and the base Amigdash was built through it. And we have proof of that from a very interesting place. Uh, the proof of this is what the Moshe Rabbeinu petitions and asks Hashem when he's, so to speak, uh, jousting with Koyach and, and Co. That Moshe Rabbeinu says to the Ebishter, please do not accept their portion in the communal offering, indicating that every Jew has a portion, not only in the Beis Hamikdash structure, but in the running of the Beis Hamikdash on the daily routines. On the Fares, the Mikdash Akoponim Ein Shutfus to call you so, which means that the halakhic status of the Beis Hamikdash is a building that is owned in some kind of a global partnership of every single Jew on earth, and a building that is owned through a partnership is required to have a market.
in exactly the same way as it would have been if it was three or ten or a hundred partners in a building. So now we know that in order for a person to be required to have to put a marker on the roof, it doesn't have to be that it's your sole ownership. Could be that it's a joint ownership of a building, which is the status of the base Amigdash. And now you are responsible to create safety, make sure people don't fall off the roof. That applies equally to the base Amigdash. Ah, but there's one question though. Typically, and we've already touched on this very briefly, a house that requires a market has to be a place of residence. So now you'll ask the question, When do you have to put up a market if the house is residential? If not for that, you don't have the requirement to put up a, 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 a market, like the Rambam says. Which is one of the reasons why shul slash yeshiva is exempt from a market. Because those are not residential buildings. Especially from the Rambam's perspective who says that's the make it or break it for putting up a market. Is it or is it not residential? Now on the Heichel is doch nita beis dira. The Heichel of the Beis Amikdash is certainly not a residential place. Nobody goes to sleep there or hang out there or have supper there. So how come then it requires a market? The fascinating explanation, it has actually to do with eating. And if you know the technicalities of the halachas of a korban, you will see that it is possible that even the heichal could sometimes accommodate the eating of certain korbanos, making it like a dira. The primary definition of a place that is dira is not just where you sleep, but where you eat. We know this from the halachas of sukkah. We know that the Torah tells us that on sukkahs we have to dwell in the sukkah, which means you've got to dwell in the sukkah like you dwell in your home. So what do we primarily do in the sukkah? Primarily what we do is we eat in the sukkah. That's what indicates that we are living in the sukkah. So what do we eat in the Beis HaMikdash? This is how we could define the base Amigdash actually as a place of residence. Because the base Amigdash is a place where you eat the highest level of carbonis. But you'll still say, okay, fine, you're right that there are certain carbonos that the Koyhanim have to eat inside the base Amigdash itself. But that's not inside the Heichal, the building that actually has the market on top. Guess what? There's a fascinating halacha that says that it is permissible under certain circumstances. There are certain circumstances where due to extenuating circumstances, you dafka have to eat the kotche kodashim, the most holy of all the sacrifices, dafka inside the heichal building and not in the azara, which would then qualify the heichal building as a place that deserves and is required to have the marker on the roof. You say, but shuls are the same, right? 
No, that's not a question. Clearly, that under also extenuating circumstances, a person who is totally dedicated to learning Torah is permitted to eat in a shul and certainly to eat in a yeshiva. And yet we still don't call a shul or a yeshiva a residence. So how come the base amigdash? Because the reason for that is because the only time we allow the Talmud Chacham to eat in the shul or in the yeshiva would be on a temporary basis. If you do something on a temporary basis, it's not going to define the halachic status of that place because you occasionally eat there doesn't turn it into a dining room. And we see that in other areas of Aloha. A sukkah is not considered a place that is real residence. That's why you don't have to put a mezuzah on it. Or if you live outside of Eretz Yisrael and you're in a house or a flat or apartment, whatever it is, a hotel room, for less than 30 days, you don't have to put up a mezuzah because we understand that if something is temporary, it doesn't change the status of the place. But when you're talking about eating the holiest carbonos, there you're not eating because you're hungry, you're eating to fulfill a critical mitzvah that is integral to the whole of Judaism. That mitzvah upgrades the value of the eating experience. Especially when you consider that the halacha is that when you eat a carbon, you have to eat it in the richest, most luxurious way possible. That makes it something much more real and permanent. The fact that the Torah calls on us to eat carbonos in this place, even if it's only under very unique circumstances, is a base that makes it a place that qualifies as a place of residence, and therefore, from that perspective, is required to have a marker. That's the halacha of this sicha. Now we're going to analyze what the spiritual meaning of the makeh on a Beis HaMikdash, not on a shul, what's the difference? So the deeper perspective on the difference between a shul and Beis Medrash on the one hand and the Beis HaMikdash on the other with regards to having a makeh, we'll only get to explain that by first understanding, well, what does this guardrail represent in spiritual terms? The Pirusha Pnimi in Vasisamaka the Gagaho Koimber Kiipal and Neufel Mimenu is so the deep explanation of having a guardrail lest somebody fall off the roof. What does that mean in spiritual terms? Gagaho Vaistef Hagbo Vagaiva. Needless to say, the roof of a building is the highest point of the building. And so, therefore, in spiritual terms, the roof represents the person who is elevated and possibly a little bit arrogant. And Vasisamaka the Gagaho meant. The fact that you have to put a protection on the roof implies as we must summon or magbel sein de that we've got to close up, protect, and limit the arrogance that a person has. Keep all our noble memories that nobody falls. Because arrogance is the precipitator of all spiritual downfall. As we well know that what is it that stimulates negative behavior in a person? Egocentric awareness, arrogance. Das ist echt die Klolis von dem, was ich der Hegel dafür habe in der Marke. So the first thing we're going to look at, okay, so now we understand that in Marke you've got to have a protection against arrogance. Let's look at why you need that protection in the base Amigdash and then we'll see why maybe not in a shul. 
Wir können meinen, dass die Bavorisch von Amake ist nicht nur in den Jahren von Beischochol. So, the normal thinking that a person has is, if a house, if a place is mundane in nature, then it needs this special protection. Which means, if a person is just stum arrogant because they're, they're arrogant about their business achievements or about their athletic achievements or about their intellect, okay, so that is definitely unhealthy and everybody would agree. But when you're talking about holy places, <coughs> a place that is entirely holy, then even having a, t- a tinge of arrogance is also holy. The Pasuk says that you feel the sense of greatness because you're doing what Hashem wants. The Gemara tells us that a has to have one sixty-fourth of Gaiva. So why do you have to have a fence there? I get it. Regular arrogance, fence it in, control it, make sure that it doesn't cause damage. Holy arrogance, holy ego. That's, that's all good. So therefore we have a lesson. Guess what? Even the base Amigdash needs to have a Makkah. Where in the base Amigdash did you have to put the protection? The holiest part of the base Amigdash. That's the part that we protect. The place you'd least likely expect to need that protection. Because the lesson is that a person could be at the pinnacle of spiritual greatness. We still have to keep ourselves in check by having a very clear sense of bitl and not allowing a sense of self. Very powerful insight into a halacha, which of course we don't really relate to because it's a halacha that doesn't apply today. But if you have vessels that are protected so that when they are completed, they're made in the greatest level of holiness, if you want to use them. So they're pure vessels, they'd be good for, for all ordinary use. But if you want to use them for something which is kodesh, for a korban, you have to first put them into a mikveh. Meaning, if a person has reached a spiritual achievement where they now feel, I am whole, I am complete. A person who has finished everything that they need to, need to do, so to speak, in terms of their own personal purity. So it's at that point where the person feels the sense of their spiritual achievements. What's the next thing they have to focus on? Bittel. Because it's when a person has achieved great spiritual heights, that's when the tiniest morsel of arrogance could be so damaging. So that's when you need to be tvila. You need bittel. Now, Maki Kipshuti is doch nit azayu fahitn zich. If you think about it, the purpose of a mark is not really to protect yourself. The Torah makes it pretty clear. Somebody else might fall off the roof. The primary objective of the mark is to protect another person from being the victim of your roof. Which is very relevant in spiritual terms because the purpose of this guardrail against arrogance or Instead, to focus on Bittel is it's not only to protect the individual from spiraling out of control spiritually because they're so arrogant. 
but it's actually to protect the next person. As gagecho dein gavos vegaiva, so on the gerim zayin and afila ruchnis This is such a profound lesson that a person, because of their self-assuredness, because of their ego, shouldn't cause chas v'shalom another Jewish person to fall. Let's say that there's a Jew who is engaged in spreading Judaism and looking to bring Eden closer to Hashem. Which on a spiritual level is exactly what the Torah is talking about when it says that he has built a new house. When you build a new house, that's when you have to have the market. Here we're referring to a person who cannot afford to be satisfied with their own spiritual development. He has to build a house that's dedicated to Hashem, which means which means to build a whole environment, almost if you want, a whole melucha that is completely filled with and inspired by holiness. That's why the person is a little bit self-assured. If at that point the person has a sense of gaiva, the, the damage is not just to themselves, it's to the person they're trying to bring into this world, that they're trying to uplift, that they're trying to inspire. Because when a person is reaching out to somebody else to inspire them in a sincere way that comes from the depths of their heart without any ulterior motives. Then you can be sure you're going to hit the, the target and you're going to have a meaningful impact on the person. But if the person who is out there inspiring, sharing, teaching, drawing others close to Yiddishkeit, if there is a contaminant of personal arrogance, First of all, that's going to obstruct the success of getting through to the next person. But more than that, the arrogance could actually achieve the opposite of the intention. That sense, that schmeck of arrogance can, instead of drawing the other person close, that could be the reason that pushes them away. And then the Pasuk takes it a step further because the person might say, but that's not my fault. If that person, it's their issue if they can't hear the truth because I happen to have a little bit of ego. Says the Pasuk, that the concern over here is somebody who is going to fall, they should not fall off your roof. For As we well know, the Pirish that what does it mean? They were destined to fall. But Debeshta chooses his agents, good agents for good roles and not such good agents for less happy roles. You don't want to be the person who has that roof that the person falls off. So then Ayid can tie and the person could say, As dinner feel of one's fate, the fact that that guy got all offended because he didn't think I was as sincere as I needed to be, it's not my problem. It's because that guy was obviously, the Abish had decided that person's going to go on a spiritual decline. Or maybe not only are they destined, maybe they are already in a state of spiritual collapse. 
Because when the Tzvita Vod Givenan Ish Yosher Hoylech had that other person had integrity, what a mafre given zwischen the emeskite von seiner Rei, then he would have had the maturity to distinguish between the truth of what I was saying, was I inverted from Torah, then not my own ideas, that what the Torah has to say, which is truth with a capital T, and they should have had the maturity to distinguish between this, the objectively true message and the subjectively flawed human who delivered the message. Like the Gemara says, Rabbi Meir was able to take out the, the value of what Acher had to teach and to throw out the things that were irrelevant or inappropriate. The problem is that guy. That guy's already in a damaged spiritual stage. So that's a person because they're so spiritually uh, susceptible, they're so spiritually vulnerable, they hear something which feels a little bit uncomfortable to them, so they throw out the baby with the bathwater. It's not my problem. Why do I have to work so hard on my arrogance, my rooftop? As der was a shenan eifel, so nit haven got aggressive feel that 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 the other guy shouldn't collapse because of me. It's not my problem that he's in a bad way. Zokt menim to that the Torah addresses the person and says, as nit kukendik was yen there is a neifel, regardless of the fact that the other person, the so-called recipient of your teachings, is in a bad way spiritually. Liktabere femachiv to fahitten as fun gagecha fun dain gag. You still retain the responsibility to protect your roof. That as a result of your roof slash arrogance, zol nit arois kumen eichtin a filo fun a neifel. You should not be the cause of somebody falling to pieces, even if they. Were predestined to fall to pieces. It shouldn't be on you. Don't be the negative agent. Who causes another person to fall. So the person could still say, okay, you're right. So I'm sorry, I cannot do this job right now because I have too much arrogance. Let me work on myself. The person is conscious of the fact that he still has this element of arrogance. Why get into uncharted territory? I don't know if I can really protect myself from my own arrogance effectively or not. I don't know that I'm yet in a position that I could protect myself and the other person from being hurt in the process. You know what? Leave me out of it. I'm not going to build houses. I'm not going to reach out to other Jews. I, I'm not there yet. You know, I've got to look after myself. I'm definitely not going to touch other people because who knows? I might contaminate them because of my arrogance. It's a pasuk makdim al Therefore, the pasuk says, before we get to your issues with the with the roof that needs to be protected, let's start with the basics. Build a house. It's not only an instruction, it's a brocha as well. You've got to go and be proactive and build around you a place of holiness, a place of godliness, a place of Yiddishkeit. And you can't leave that to everybody else to do. You've got to build your own brand new house of your own. Every single Jew has a piece of this world with their name on it. That's their responsibility to uplift and their responsibility to build. Their responsibility to turn into Hashem's home. 
We can't rely on all the incredible achievements of earlier generations. Nor can we rely on the great efforts of other amazing Jewish people in our generation. Each person carries the personal responsibility to construct the godliness of their corner of the world. That's your individual, unique contribution that nobody else could make. Therefore, if you encounter another Jewish people, if you encounter another Jew, it's not accidental. That's what they wish to wanted. The fact that you know this person means that that person's spiritual growth and, and development is contingent on your input. So you have no choice. You've got to start building that house. You've got to get involved. You've got to help the person. You've got to teach the person. Even if the other person is in a really bad spiritual way, and you're worried about yourself. I'm not the right candidate. I'm still too full of myself. And maybe I'll do more damage. Does it make sense that because I am imperfect, the other person should suffer? Especially considering that that person is relying on me because they wish to put them and me together? They should have to wait and suffer because I'm not perfect. Macha Maike on says the Rebbe, so do something about it. Don't shrug your shoulders and say, I cannot get involved. Work on railing, reining in the Gaiva. None of us has the luxury of being able to say, sorry, this job is not for me. I don't want or cannot. Um, influence another Jewish person. There's a very famous story Chassidim tell from the, uh, from the Mittler Rebbe that is exactly on this point. The Mittler Rebbe had gemacht a takona. The Mittler Rebbe set up a system with his Chassidim as the Chassidim was flag kumen, was flag kumen ken lebavich zon nevzeivek zurikahim chazen Chassidus in the shtetlach vosegein farbay. The Mittler Rebbe set up was you came to visit the Rebbe, great. On your way back, you had to stop in all the little shtetlach and share the Chassidus that you had learned at the Rebbe. There was a particular individual who did an amazing job of sharing Hasidus wherever he went. He comes to the Mitter Rebbe complaining. What's his complaint? He was actually quite self-conscious of the fact that yeah, I do a good job of this. And it bothered him that he's teaching the Mitter Rebbe's Hasidus feeling good about himself. Therefore, he wanted permission from the Mithra Rebbe not to have to teach Chassidus any longer because it was making him very self-centered. Very famously, the Mithra Rebbe answered him, If you become like an onion that has layers and layers and layers, implying, of course, the layers of ego that a person might collect through each success that they have, so be it, as long as you teach Chassidus. And that's the lesson over here. Yes, of course, it is critically important for us to weed out the arrogance from ourselves so we don't damage other people in the process of trying to inspire and educate them. And at the same time, we cannot use that as an excuse not to do those things until we have completely gotten rid of any vestige of arrogance from within ourselves. So that's why you have to have a market on the roof of your house. With that in mind, let's go back to the distinction between the base Amigdash, which we've just discussed. The base Amigdash is about making a home for Hashem, Kedusha, which every one of us is supposed to do and reach out and touch other people and be very careful about how we do it and how that's different to a Shul and a base Medrash. 
because a shul and a base medrash is really the symbol of personal development as opposed to the base amigdash, which is the symbol of helping to develop others. We can understand the difference. The unit from base Aknesis and medrash is a shul is all about davening and a base medrash is all about learning. That's all about personal development. Whereas the base Amigdash is a much broader representation of everything that a Jewish person has to do to serve Hashem. Not only the things that affect the individual's growth, but the primary element of the base Amigdash is how do we change the world? How do we make the world a holy, godly place? How we take the physical material of this world and the world itself and turn it into Hashem's home. That's why one of the key components of the base Amikdash is to bring carbonus. What is a carbon? You take the animal and the wine and the flower, which are really physical things, particularly the animal, because that represents a, a crass form of physicality, and you elevate it towards Hashem. And you don't just burn it on a fire. Most korban is also shared with the koyanim. Some are even shared with the people who brought the korban. They have to then eat the korban and use it as a means of transforming that energy into energy that can be used to serve Hashem. It's all about elevating the world. As we know, besides the specifics of what happened in the Beis Amikdash, the overarching theme of what the Beis Amikdash is all about is Sharing Hashem with the world. That's why the design of the transparent windows of the base Amigdash was an outward oriented design. That's in order to allow the light from within the base Amigdash to illuminate the world outside of the base Amigdash. And and that that light would then be evidence to the world that the divine presence is to be found right here. Where? In the base Amigdash. Considering that the main purpose of the Beis Hamikdash is to prevent somebody who's in a bad way from falling off the roof. That's right. The Beis Hamikdash is uh, sorry. The Makkah is all about what preventing somebody who's in a bad way from falling further. As well as protecting ourselves, so we don't fall through our own arrogance. That the most susceptible time, obviously, for a person to fall is when the person is reaching out and touching other people. You're building a new home. So therefore, if you're building a shul or a base medrash, which is all about the person's inward focus, building themselves, you don't need the market to protect them from falling. Certainly not to protect other people from falling, because here's when you're investing in, in keeping yourself connected to Hashem through Torah and Tefillah. Whereas the Beis Amigdash, which is oriented towards the world, taking the physicality of this world, which obviously could entrap us. Which spiritually means taking the world we live in and transforming it into a world of holiness and connection. There you got to have the protection that you don't get carried away with your own arrogance and you don't harm another person by presenting as arrogant. 
Now you'd think, well, the best place to be is in the shul and in the base majors where you don't have to worry about these great vulnerabilities. Turns out that the greatest experience of godliness is specifically in the base amigdash. Because it's only by engaging and elevating the world with all the risks that that entails that we actually achieve what Hashem has in mind for creation. That's what allows us to build this new house that Hashem had, so to speak, wished for. We build a home that Hashem had a desire for. And by us building in our environment a home for Hashem, the Bayis Chodosh, we will in fact bring about the Bayis Chodosh, the Beis Amikdash Hashlishi. Take care, Umiyad Mamash.